Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe. This is a quick reaction episode to the breaking news that contains fewer jokes, no drops, and brutally honest assessments of how fucked we are right now. So I give to you special edition 10, Inflection Point. Stay tuned. M Science, applied to life. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died, a scholar and a lawyer who became an icon. She designed and led the fight for women's rights in the 1970s and subsequently served 27 years on the U.S. Supreme Court. She died last night at the age of 87 of complications from metastatic cancer of the pancreas. I woke up this morning at 4.30 a.m. because that is a thing I'm apparently doing now. And as I blearily made coffee, I glanced at my phone to see all the robberies and shootings in my neighborhood overnight. Because if I'm going to be horrified the first thing in the morning, I at least want to be horrified by things in my immediate vicinity. Waiting for my coffee to brew, I sat down and opened the news to see the headline, quote, McConnell vows Senate will hold vote on Ginsburg replacement, unquote. This wandered around my brain looking for something to connect with since I had a firm commitment to go offline for news on Friday evenings and listen to music while I drink whiskey. I had not seen the news in well over 12 hours. I closed the news app on my phone, more or less assumed that this was some kind of McConnell blustering bullshit since the last thing I knew, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive. I was halfway through my coffee before my brain latched onto the idea that maybe I should read the rest of the fucking news, and thus I discovered that Justice Ginsburg was in fact no longer alive. There are better writers and public speakers far more qualified to give the words to the accomplishments of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life than I could ever do. Suffice it to say that among the pantheons of righteous warriors for freedom and democracy, RBG star will burn bright. She's considered a fighter for the rights of women, but Justice Ginsburg didn't see it that way exactly. She considered the fight for women's rights as part and parcel of a fight for everyone's rights. And that's a mighty legacy to leave to the world. My only other thought on this is the profound sadness I feel, not just at her loss to all of us, but also for how her life and death will be overshadowed by what's to come. It's a shitty elegy to have your death eclipsed by the existential threat to a nation, and yet, here we are. Because we are at a genuine moment of existential threat to the United States of America. Not the chronic threat of inequality or the chronic threat of the creeping fascism of Donald Trump, but an acute crisis that could and very likely will tear apart the last remaining fragile threads holding this battered and broken republic together. Because Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell absolutely will nominate a replacement with 45 days to go until the presidential election. You will not need to be reminded that Mitch McConnell held up Obama's placing Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court with 10 months to go until the 2016 election, stating that the voice of the American people must be heard before any nomination of the highest court could be considered by the Senate during an election year. Since then, McConnell has modified his statement by amending it to read that it doesn't fucking apply when Republicans hold power. 
It isn't even stunning, his hypocrisy. It's just another in the endless litany of power grabs and authoritarian tactics that are now the brand of the Republican Party. We all had plenty of warning Mitch would be Mitch if this happened, and now it's happened. I expect a nomination in place before RBG Shiva candles have even been blown out. There will be reams of analysis and opinions written by pundits over the coming days about how this will play electorally. Already today, I've read a dozen articles and listened to half a dozen podcasts where the ramifications were examined, how the, how the endangered Senate majority would be on life support if nominations proceed before the election, or inversely, it would galvanize the GOP base to turn out in support of a locked conservative majority on the court, or how it would rile the Democrats to turn out and sweep the entire election blue, how Biden should stack the court, or how he would never stack the court because Joe Biden wouldn't do that, how Susan Collins will react, how Mitt Romney will vote against a egregious violations of norms, would Lindsey Graham, already in danger of losing his Senate seat, hold to his word on how he would never let an appointment go through if the Republican president was in office during an election year? Do the numbers change if McConnell goes forward in a lame duck session? I've read more math on Senate votes than I did the summer I had to get a math tutor to graduate sixth grade. And all I could think was how tenuous a thread democracy dangles upon when we come down to trusting Republicans not to do the one thing they want more than anything in the world, lock in a decades-long conservative majority on the court. How grim our future is when it depends on Lindsey fucking Graham to do the right fucking thing. There's a concept in mathematics called an inflection point. We're in differential calculus and differential geometry, an inflection point, uh, a point of inflection, flex or inflection is a point on a smooth plane curve at which the curvature changes sign. Now, I don't know what any of that means, see my need in math tutor and to graduate sixth grade, but there's a second meaning of inflection point that is used in the business community where it means basically turning point, a fundamental shift in the course of affairs from one course of action to, a, to another. And there's a third usage of this term that's just growing in historical analysis and that you can look to history and point to certain events and say, after this Things were dramatically different. Caesar crossing the Rubicon, the Magna Carta, the Bolshevik Revolution, the election of FDR, my taking home that chick I met at the truck stop on the way home from the karaoke bar. Things like that. In math, you can predict the inflection point using, I don't know, shit numbers, I guess. But in business, you can only really see it after it's passed, despite the bullshit things that you'll hear at a pitch meeting. And in history, it's kind of both. You can predict based on observations at the time when an inflection point is occurring, but you can't know until after it happens. The death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what happens with her replacement is very likely to be the inflection point for democracy in the United States. I know that sounds super dramatic, and I'm certainly not a historian if you don't count my last five years documenting the slow decline of the American experiment. But I know enough to say this kind of thing is actually common in the rise of authoritarian governments. You can go through the rise of any dictator and point to the inflection point that allowed them to take control of a free people. You uh, probably haven't heard of the Enabling Act. Don't feel bad. We don't teach history in this country anymore, and it was never flashy enough to make all the good movies. But it was the inflection point that allowed Adolf Hitler to become the loathsome scamp we all know and hate. From the U.S. Holocaust Museum website, quote, The Enabling Act allowed the Reich government to issue laws without the consent of the Germany's parliament, laying the foundation for the complete Nazification of German society. The law was passed on March 23, 1933, and published the following day. Its full name was The Law to Remedy the Distress of the People and the Reich. 
Since the passage of this law depended on a two-thirds majority vote in Parliament, Hitler and the Nazi Party used intimidation and and persecution to ensure the outcome they desired. They prevented all 81 communists and 26 of the 120 social democrats from taking their seats, detaining them in so-called protective detention in Nazi-controlled camps. In addition, they stationed, stationed SA and SS members in the chamber to intimidate the remaining representatives and guarantee their compliance. In the end, the law passed with more than the required two-thirds majority, with only social democrats voting against it. The Supreme Court did nothing to challenge the legitimacy of the measure. Instead, it accepted the majority vote, overlooking the absence of the communist delegates and the social democrats who were under arrest, unquote. There were more than enough votes in Parliament that day to defeat the motion, even with the missing members all being Nazied up like there were. And oh sure, there were SS goons looking over their shoulders, but that doesn't absolve them of their duty to act in accordance with the Constitution and the facts before them that Adolf Hitler posed a clear and present danger to the freedom and democracy of the people who put them in power in the first place? And what about those courts? Again, from the Holocaust Museum website, quote, In fact, most judges were convinced of the legitimacy of the process and did not understand why the Nazis proclaimed a Nazi revolution. Eric Schultz, one of the first Supreme Court judges to join the Nazi party, declared, declared that the term revolution didn't refer to an overthrow of the established order, but rather to Hitler's radically different ideas. In the end, German judges, who were among the very few who might have challenged, challenged Nazi objectives, viewed Hitler's government as legitimate and continued to regard themselves as state servants who owed him, Hitler, their allegiance and support, unquote. And look, I know the United States is not the Weimar Republic in 1933, not yet anyway, but we're not as far away from it as we might seem. But it doesn't need to be because history doesn't repeat. A lot of times it rhymes. There will not be ice stormtroopers in the Senate chamber because Mitch McConnell and his goons will do all their work procedurally. Nor will they dismantle our system of government overnight like Hitler effectively did. It will be a slow deconstruction. It's chaos and despair builds under years of dysfunctional leadership. Whomever is elected this year, and frankly, put in an arch-conservative on the court, could very well decide the election. Assuming the polls are correct, and there's no major attempt to outright steal the election, both of which are admittedly pretty major assumptions, it's more likely than not that Joe Biden will win, and by the precedent instituted by the GOP, he should get to choose RBG's replacement. To do otherwise would fundamentally undermine our system of government and kick off a series of reactions that would weaken the nation as certainly as Trump being re-elected, if not so completely. If it is done before the election and the courts go and the results should go to court, then well, we're gonna have Trump forever. All right? The Supreme Court, which, for all of its many flaws, traditionally has been a stabilizing force in the government. If Trump and the GOP put their person on the bench, the left will explode. Maybe not instantly, but eventually as fundamental rights are eroded and corruption remains unchecked in any meaningful way. Should Biden win, having a decades-long far-right ideologue on the bench would cripple any progress of a left-leaning president of Congress can make on the massive problems facing the future of this nation. So how can he not pack the courts? And so the dysfunction spirals. Polarization continues until the nation splits apart at the seam, probably violently. And what stands between that and chaos for fucking Republican senators. Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Lamar Alexander, and Willard Mitt Romney. I, uh, I give the Republic about a 15% chance of survival with them as our champions. So what can we do? Shit, I don't know. 
I guess if you're a person of faith, pray, I guess. Because uh, uh, if there's a God, we need her help right now. There isn't, so she won't be helping. I guess if you live in Maine, Alaska, Tennessee, or Utah, you could try calling your senator to remind them of their duty, but that, uh, that approach hasn't had a great track record. Susan Collins might listen to you since y'all Mainers are about to boot her out of office, but uh, if you re-elect her, you know what's going to happen, right? She's going to make this speech where she expresses her sincerest belief that this Adolf Hilter fellow that President Trump is appointing on the court would never do anything to undermine democracy and freedom in America. He's just a nice boy, like that guy Brett Kavanaugh she voted for. Beyond that, I guess my real advice is to... Uh, I don't know, buy guns, stockpile food, water, and ammunition, and make plans with your left-leaning neighbors to create an up-armored recreational vehicle out of a Winnebago and get your family over the border from the Christian theocratic states of America into the free states when the revolution comes. Oh, I guess maybe Lindsey Graham could be as good as work. No, 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 wait, he's already said he would bend over for Daddy Trump. That Lady G, always flexible. So, uh, you know, I'd start working on the armored Winnebago. So that's it for this special edition. Sorry about the dark tone, but this podcaster is scared shitless of what will happen in the coming weeks, and he is really glad to be living in the free states. Do all the things a normal ask in all the normal places I ask you to do it, and the uh, the actual episode of this week will be out on Monday morning on a topic that isn't, uh, well, it's not light, but at least there are jokes. Horrible, tasteless jokes. You'll see. So for me, Dave Bledsoe, producer Gavin, and all the fictional minions on this podcast, stay safe, stay sane, hold on to your butts, and we'll see you all Monday morning in the regular feed. the hell were you thinking stars dave bledsoe and features gavin st james and several fictional minions the show is produced by kimberly Steele and a part of the seltzer kings podcast network you can find more information on the show on their website whatthehellpodcast.com or on twitter at the hell underscore podcast or on facebook as what the hell podcast thanks for listening i have no ending for this so i take a small bow Seltzer Kings Podcasts.